This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org. to speak today, and Kato for being the middle person, the inviter. Oh, thank you. Well, <clears throat> of course, um, this last, this is more than a week, we've, and in particular in the last week, we've had a lot of um, <clears throat> wildfires, and I know we had some friends that evacuated from Guerneville, Sebastopol, Santa Cruz. I was just asking Cato if anybody needed to stay here because of the evacuation. And um, I know some people also did at city center. And I will say that, of course, I thought, well, I should say something about that in a talk. And I have to say there have been so many talks about <laughs> how do we respond to difficult situations, it seems, in the last few years. And so tonight I'm, I'm going to touch on that. And I think um, certainly we'll have some aspects of it. And um, I thought I'd try to have at least begin with a lighter touch, since it's also post-Halloween. Which, of course, in, you know, in our tradition, we also have Sajiki, uh, which is honoring those who have passed, and of course the same with, um, in, in a lot of cultures, so. And I thought I'd talk about, start out with Halloween. Ah, seems like um, this is already in Forbes magazine online, uh, which I looked up, I don't get Forbes. Um, <clears throat> Americans spent $8.9 billion this year on Halloween. I don't even think all the fires together are in the, that high of a billions. And actually, this is down from the last two years. I guess we spent 9.1 and then 9 billions last year. So, um, and the average, supposedly, the average American spends $86.26 on Halloween. The biggest one, of course, is candy. And then in terms of costume, Women spend around $77, and men spend around $96 on their costume. I will say, my girlfriend Deb was a little surprised that men would spend more on their costume. I don't know. You guys tell, tell us. Yeah. And then, of course, also around the holiday, uh, excuse me, the Halloween time, um, all the holidays, but Halloween, we've had a whole bunch of scary movies. Isn't that true? Uh, and this is from post last weekend. Uh, last Monday, Mal Maleficent, I think it opened, the, well, maybe it was the second week, um, came out past Joker, right? And uh, it made, I don't know, like $19 million for the weekend. That's just for the weekend. Um, uh, oh, Maleficent is, you know, the Angel Angelina Jolie. You know, she's the mistress of evil. 
And Joker, actually, even though it slipped to second, is the highest grossing um, horror films. Actually, maybe the highest grossing film worldwide. Um, probably not, actually, probably just the horror. Um, 849.1 million. Right? Broke the record of in 2017 of Stephen King's It, which is 700 million. So, so the, the one common thing I think that I'm thinking about the evacuations, the fire and shut, power shut off and stuff, and Halloween is this whole thing about fear, right? Our sense of fear. And of course, there are real things that bring up fear and um, what do we do with fear? So when there's um, fear, I think first what we do is we, my, my experience is that we start by focusing on who. Who is it that we're afraid of around fear? And that's the monster, right? Also fitting for Halloween. Um, so the, the, I want to talk about the creation of fear, of this monster that we have. Of course, you know, this fits in with the teaching because, um, of course, the first noble truth is, of course, dukkha, usually translated as suffering or disease, dissatisfaction, discontent. And then the second, of course, is the cause or the origin. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh likes to say the creating of fear. That's kind of the difference between, excuse me, the creation of suffering, of dukkha. So that's kind of the difference between, perhaps we could say, pain and suffering, or Charlotte Jokobeck like to say, you know, uh, true suffering versus false suffering. And uh, then, of course, then in that framework, then the third noble truth is the cessation of the creating. And I think that's useful because it um, helps us to see where is it that we add on to our experience and where is it then that we can refrain or back off. Right? So, and then of course the fourth is the path, the Eightfold Path. So first, again, who? Let's explore who. I will say that a few years ago, I went to the uh, Frankenstein Ballet. Um, actually, it's really good, and I, I will say that I didn't read it when I was in school, except for excerpts, right? Um, and Frankenstein, um, the, the full name is the Modern Prometheus, right? And of course, it was written by um, Mary Shelley, um, and tells the story of Victor Frankenstein, a young scientist who creates a grotesque but sapient creature in an unorthodox scientific experiment. She started writing this story when she was 18 years old, and the first edition of the novel um, didn't have her name. Uh, that was in London, and her name finally appeared in the second edition when she was 20. So the story goes that um, uh, Victor Frankenstein's mother died in childbirth, him, and in his grief he created a being. It was from grief that he created a monster. So that really goes with our creation, right? The Nama Rupa, right? He created a self. He created an actual being out of his grief with his grief. Right? I like to call this selfing, making of a self. So in constructing this self, he uses many dead body parts. Right? 
I like to think of those are kind of like our when we have an experience and then we bring in our association, right? It's not our when we see something, we add on to it our ideas about it, or the seeds of associations get water given conditions, right? So um, this is a, our past, which is already gone and dead, you could say. Um, our longing, our sadness, our grief is for Victor, right? So we want to make it come alive. So he imbues it with electricity. That's the modern part, right? that time. So the fire energy of our craving. Um, and so Prometheus is, of course, from a Greek mythology in which the de deity, Prometheus, um, stole fire from the gods to give to humans. That's the story. And fires, of course, shows up in many culture stories as having to do with power, especially power <laughs> from the gods. Um, and also fire sustain life. It's also gotten really cold in the North Bay and with fall, right? So warm, so it gives us safety, keeps certain animals away, we think, and provides civilization, right? Because the melting uh, from fire, we melted metals, and that's in a way to consider how we advance, right? We made tools from that. Um, and then, of course, fire can also destroy, as we well know. And also that's why then fire is often associated with human passion. Now, of course, interestingly, Frankenstein is not the name of, we call it, in, I guess in the book, the monster is always called a monster. We have called it Frankenstein, but Frankenstein's the doctor's name. So Frankenstein's the creator. So, where is it that um, we're the creator of the monsters, the things we fear? So making a monster, how is it that we make monsters? This I'm Charlotte Jokobek in Everyday Zen. This chapter is called False Fear. Because we are all human, we all tend to create a false problem. The problem exists because we have no choice but to live out of our particular and peculiar kind of mind. Our way of thinking is not the same as that of a cat or a horse or even a dolphin. Because of our misuse of our minds, we become confused between two types of fear. One kind of fear is ordinary. If physically threatened, we react, do something, we may run, fight, call the police. But we do something, this is natural, ordinary fear. But most of our anxious life is not based on that, but on false fear. False fear exists because we misuse our minds, because we see ourselves, because we see ourself or I as a separate entity. We create various sentences with I as the subject. Our sentences are about what has happened to this I, or what might happen to it, or how these happenings might be analyzed or controlled. And all of this almost ceaseless mental activity entails a constant, uneasy evaluation of ourselves and others. Because of the fear that arises from this false picture, 
We cannot act with any intelligence. It is a fear that attempts to maneuver and manipulate. I'll say that again. It is a fear that attempts to maneuver and manipulate. Once we have sized up a situation or person, we may act. But the action tends to be based on error, a falsity of thinking that there is an I separate from the action. We have thought of this, quote, I have not made the grade. I have, I may not be impressive. I may end up with nothing. I'm too important to do dishes, end quotes. Out of such I thinking, a particular value system grows. We tend to value only people or events which we hope will maintain or establish a safe and secure life for this I. We evaluate ourselves and develop various strategies to preserve the I in our, excuse me, in the I. In our Southern California, she was, was based in San Diego. In our Southern California pop psychology, we may say, quote, I have to love myself, end quote. But who is loving whom? How on earth can an I manage to love a myself? We feel that I have to love myself. I have to be good to myself. I have to be good to you. There's tremendous fear in underlying those judgments, a fear that does not accomplish anything. We have a fictional I that we try to love and protect. We spend most of our life playing this futile game. What will happen? How will it go? How will I get something out of it? I, I, I. It's a mind game of illusion and we are lost in it. So, in working with fear, I think, or in being with fear, the main thing is we have to identify who is the focus. Mostly if we focus outside of ourselves onto who out there is we think dangerous to us or different and therefore we fear. I really we need to be looking here. What is the who that I'm creating in defense to manipulate? The fear to protect the persona. I know that um, you know, I watch myself do it. I, I have been practicing not killing bugs since my, at least since my Tassajara days, right, which is almost 20 years now. So, and yet I find myself like killing small bugs. Just the other day, you know, I was in the, like this week, I was in the bathroom and a little bug flew by and I went like this, right? And I, I will even admit I missed the first time and yet I did it again. And then I find myself justifying Right, going, oh, but it's a moth, it's going to eat my clothes. And it's so small that when I squish it, I can't tell what it is afterwards. Right, and then I, I'm like, gosh. And I know it came from this, I'm, a, there's a fear of flying little bugs. I don't know where it came to us because kids love bugs. All the kids I know just love bugs. And yet, where, where did some point? Because usually it comes about about how we think it's affecting our, this is not about safety. So, so much of our is about ease, about convenience, right? Something, clothing is mine. My clothing should not be food for other animal we think, right? 
And then I think about it, yeah, a little hole. Imagine a little hole and I'm killing a beam because I'm thinking I'm going to prevent a little hole in my clothes. And honestly, maybe I only have two things that have moth holes in it, if they were indeed from moths, right? Of all my thousands and thousands of clothing items, not presently, maybe only a thousand. I do have a lot of clothes. <laughs> so a lot of time it's for what we think is convenience, for sometimes for fun, and then for power. So how much of our desires from, right, and acting in, in, we think, in service of protecting something, some sense of me or something of what I own, which is a selfing, right? Otherwise it's just a sweater. And of course then we have to be aware of what is it that we're creating. And again, it's not so much on the, the thing itself, right? The monster. It's on the drive. This what is on, what is the drive? Right? Uh, and I'm talking about our fears, right? How often do we create the sense of a monster in another person or thing to justify cruelty, right? People are savages, or they're acting like animals, and therefore I'm justified. Or they're criminal. Criminals are not beings to us in this society. Hmm? Or they're weird and different from me. Freaks or aliens, even the word we call some people aliens. Hmm? Different from this sense of I, this sense of self. So again, so much of our drive is in the sense of protecting some false sense of self. And then of course we have to focus on um, bring our awareness to where, why, and how we place our attention. So in the same vein and topic, um, <clears throat> this is from a TED talk uh, in, 20, in August, April 2018. Uh, this is Margie here. She's a sociologist that spends time studying people's fear. And uh, it's entitled, Why We Love to Be Scared. So her definition of fear is, as a sociologist, social consequences don't look like us, challenges our understanding of ourselves, our values. And she talks about how, um, you know, like in journalism, you know, the main driver, the stories we read, is if it bleeds, it leads. Right? So human suffering. And often the focus is on people's fear. In fact, um, my girlfriend just, you know, there was a, she's a videographer and photographer, and she was, she's a freelancer, so she was looking for, um, there was a story request out um, for, Someone, a story about someone who takes you to the edge of the universe. Isn't that cool? Right? And I love this. And Deb's used to me talking about her. So, um, <laughs> you know, I really loved it because Deb was like, hmm, what, what is the edge of my universe? And she thought, oh, I love redwood trees. So, what, what if somebody climbs a redwood? Because they're tall, they're old, you know, and tall. Aren't they the tallest tree on the planet? Yep. So she found a guy who is a master tree climber 
and only two weeks out of the year he takes eight people a day up two groups of four up um about 200 feet that's like 18 stories right redwood tree and this is for the new york post that was commissioning or whatever the word is for the story and you know she spent hours and many foot hours of footage on this guy and then as she was doing it the thing that they wanted to focus on was that he's afraid of heights because they said that's what people are gonna you know want to know more his fear of heights not that these trees in fact you know she was giving facts about the trees because how amazing that's the edge of the universe right? remember that's the point of the story right and so about they're the oldest or the, one of the oldest trees second oldest right but they're the tallest they're they're only on this coast we're the only country that have them i mean all these amazing facts about them and they're only like two percent left three percent left in the world probably more people and one other thing he said was probably more people have summited mount everest than have gone up in a redwood so and yet they focus on the fear and in fact she says uh back to the sociologist uh, cure she said the best way according to this research the best way to motivate people is to stoke their worst fear then give them a solution so that they feel safe again. So she wanted to explore why people wanted to be scared. And so she and colleagues um, went to what she called the extreme house of horror in a basement in Pittsburgh and interviewed um, people. I think they did it for 10 years. So how do, how do people cognitive processing change in experience? Of course, we have the fight flight or freeze, right? So, and, and the fight and the flight in particular are a cascade of chemicals, right? So people get a sort of high. Of course, you know this, adrenaline is flowing, our metabolism increases, right? So we're converting as much energy as we can in a moment, in that moment. So all of our attention and resources are reprioritized to being alive, to being strong, to this sense of survival primal survival. So there's no time for anxious rumination about the future. We're grounded in our bodies. We're feeling in the present, in the moment. It feels good. It feels primal. However, in the absence of a real threat, this can feel really good. Right? Exhilarating, and she said that it can be compared to people running a 5K, right? And meeting or meeting a fierce competitor in a field. And she also says, yes, we know that the monsters in the haunted house are not real, but that doesn't matter to us because what matters to us is our experience of fear. This is for people who go to horror houses, haunted houses. When watching the movie or watching a movie, it was real. So experience of the feelings are like you've accomplished something. Feel like you have endured some kind of, you overcame something. And it pushes your boundaries of your sense of self, right? Because when we're afraid, we're like, we're drawing back into ourself. And we learn things about ourselves that we didn't know before. So that's why people enjoy it. At the end of the movie, we feel like we've overcome our fear. 
Cure further says, fear is not all bad. In some circumstances, fear can be pretty wonderful when, again, we challenge our fear, we challenge our perception and our concepts, especially about ourselves and others. We reconsider how we think about fear. You should reconsider your own fear, she says. Our threat responses are to protect us based on our gene, environment, culture, time, and place, and from our experience. So she said that we should play with fear, practice being with fear, knowing how our body responds to it. Interestingly, right? Knowing how our body responds to it. Not for others to hijack our fear. We should own it. We should do it to pursue our own agenda as opposed to being used right? by marketing. or. In fact, it, I'm not being political, but notice in this country, there's so much that's based on fear right now, right? To try to get us to cast our vote certain ways. So are we aware of the purpose, right? Of what we, how we, where is it that we experience fear and what do we do with it? How do we learn it? Here's, from, here's the rest of this short chapter from Charlotte Jumbo back. False fear, remember? We may suppose that once we see the game, the game will be over, but no. That's like telling someone who's quite drunk not to be drunk. We are drunk, perpetually, but to bully ourselves, to exhort ourselves, does no good. Quote, I'm not going to be like this, end quote, is not the answer. What is the answer? We have to approach the problem from another angle to come in the back door. First, we must become aware of our illusion, our drunkenness, the monsters we make, the drive to make monsters. This is not the same as self-improvement, trying to fix our lives. It is shikin, just sitting, just experiencing, just knowing the illusions. So these are the, the I sentences of the illusion for what they are. It's not that I hears the birds, it's just hearing the birds. Let yourself be seeing, hearing, thinking. That is what sitting is. It is the false I that interrupts the wonder with a constant desire to think about I. And all the while, the wonder is occurring. The bird sings, the cars go by, the body sensations continue, the heart is beating. Life is a second-by-second miracle, but dreaming our eye dreams, we miss it. So let's just sit with what may seem like confusion. Just feel it, be it, appreciate it. Then we may more often see through the false dream which obscures our life. And then, what is there? I would say that um, when some friends came from Sebastopol and Santa Rosa, um, there were some Deb's friend in the mission. You know, we, we did ask them, oh, what, what can we do And you know, we're going to come, what can we bring, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, no, just come. And then, you know, we came and we just 
we're with them and let them tell us their experience, you know? I know I was, you know, impulse to like try to offer more, like what I can do and all that. But really it's just to be there to let people tell you their experience and to receive it. So this, this being with, this witnessing is huge in the healing process, without a doubt. And then I would say the what then also comes, because in life, you know, on the cushion, it's, it's easier, it's better, a better place to just do that witnessing, right? Just being. And yeah, of course, we have to get off the cushion at some point and interact with the world. So then what then? What then? So I think it also is, makes a difference how we know and then use our fear. Once we more clearly know what is the drive and what we create, what are we going to do with it? Which, of course, to me, takes us to the third noble truth. The more and more I practice, I just think the four noble truths is like, that's all I need. If I was on a desert island, that's all I need. Wouldn't it be great if that's all my mind was on the Four Noble Truths all the time? And that's another, right? The Third Noble Truth, cessation of the creating of suffering or dukkha. Of course, if we're going to do that, we have to learn to be responsible for what we create. Claim it and own it. That's being responsible. That's what Kier said we should do. That's the sociologist, right? So we want to have awareness and are we accountable? Creation may seem abstract, right? Maybe it just feels like, well, I'm just thinking, I'm just having thoughts, what's wrong with that? Of course, but we see numerous and all, lots, so many reports about the other thing, of course, is this is another shooting, right? And we've seen to have so many mass shootings, really, and they, when they um, go to investigate, often these people are on sites that are, you know, social sites that are very divisive and are very focused on making certain groups into monsters, right, or inhuman, or diff- so different from you that you need to annihilate them. Mm-hmm. So we know this. And I know when I suffer, I isolate. And I have very, you know, concrete, like, black-white kind of thinking. That's, I know that that's what I need to let go of. The sense of just overly solidifying around a concept. So in the wisdom aspect, you know how the Eightfold Path has three grouping, right? The wisdom grouping is wise view or skillful view. Or my son, Gil Franstone, he was saying, Sama probably usually um, is translated as um, right, right? And a better would be the... um, the complete, right? Complete understanding, complete thinking or intention. Right? That's all I'm going to talk about. So those two make up the wisdom aspect. It's usually when it talks in the way it's listed, the eightfold, then that leads into the action part, right? Uh, skillful or complete um, speech, action, livelihood, and then that often then it leads into the what's called the meditative or the samadhi part which is right or complete or skillful um, <clears throat> effort 
mindfulness and concentration. Now, often that part is considered actually the, our meditative samadhi grouping is the bridge between how we think and how we act and how we behave. So our meditative aspect is in service of how do we manifest what we think and what motivates us into action in the world, which is the bodhisattva, right? A bodhisattva has to get off the cushion, otherwise you're not a bodhisattva. So, so again, we think in the West, we often think of thinking as passive, but very much it's a purposive kind of thinking, right? Uh, so that's why sometimes I like intention or motivation as a more useful of the second of the Eightfold Path. So when we solidify around beliefs or thoughts, they become beliefs. And then beliefs translate into action. Now, when um, in the middle-length discourse, right, the Buddha noticed two categories of thoughts. These won't come as a surprise to you. So one category is desire or lust. The second is ill will. And the third is harmful harmfulness or violence. And then the other grouping is renunciation, goodwill, and harmlessness, basically the antidote, right? So in the discourse, the Buddha said to, you want to dispel the former. You want to dispel desire, lust, ill will, harmfulness, right? And you want to strengthen the latter. Renunciation, goodwill, harmlessness. I like to say, modern speak, I might be more, we want to be aware, right? Notice, to be aware is beware <laughs> of the tendency of our thoughts in the realm of desire. Of course, we didn't have them. Ill will, harmfulness, or violence, and then see what happens. And then we want to cultivate or really be able to access renunciation, goodwill, and harmlessness, and then see what happens. So our practice is to turn our attention to what's difficult and painful and to do it with some wholesome intention. That's another way that um, sama can be translated, complete intention. What it means to be in the service of non-harming towards connection, not separation. To meet it with openness and caring, and not fear and hatred. To bring our monsters out of hiding to openly meet and care for the fears, what, what is for the drive, right? The grief in Victor, Victor Frankenstein. If he was able to have therapy, you know, have a meditative practice, maybe he wouldn't have created the monster. <laughs> so horror movies can be more than entertainment. They can be art. They reflect, art is the reflection of human condition. Um, of course, you know, more recently we know that um, horror movies do have more purpose, like Get Out, right? Um, was about race, really. And The Purge is a series, these are all Jason Blumhouse movies, which was a series about class, race, and right-wing thinking. So there are social messages tucked in. Uh, that, that was, I got online, and I don't know about the intention of the directors or um, producers of Joker and Maleficent, but um, I actually have seen both. I, I go to movies for entertainment too, right? And um, 
the Joker, I, one of the things, you know, that I was thinking about it is that it was actually, you know, this whole Batman series in the last few years, I think have been really interesting because they're, they're very much about the character. How did they come to be this? And kind of a very, um, I want to say dark, but I'm trying to find better language. And the shadow side of us, right? Um, so and to me, Joker is so much about, you know, the fear that people have because he was so different, right? The way, and he came to be that way because he had so much trauma, right? And so the symptoms of his trauma that didn't get noticed, didn't get cared for, um, created this person, which we all have that sense too, right? And then it's about people's reaction to how he is, right? Their fear of how he is so different. Of course, this is more individual, I think, the Joker, though it did set up. There is some, some stuff, I think, about society's fear and violence. Right? Of course, the movie was basically set up for the next Batman movie. Right? However, that drive, there's hatred. Talk, it's really a lot about the drive of hatred. And then Maleficent is the fear of loss, I think, is the main thing. That was the main right? Main drive was this fear of loss of what she loves, that the human daughter, and the fear of the of of, of the queen, the opposing queen, was a um, fear of difference. There's very much. It's not that the trailers don't do it justice because it's very much I think a, a social kind of commentary. Um, and then there were huge themes about choosing peace over violence and compassion and non-aggression. Does that sound familiar to what the Buddha thought we should be focusing on? And so then what, what is the drive that transforms the feeling of hatred right? is love. Right? So I think so much of our practice is this. I think, yes, we do need to learn to be with things as they are, you know, and to know what our experience is. And I also think, and maybe it seems unzen, but it seems to me it's really important, especially in these days, to really have a sense of what, that we practice also to connect with the motivation, right, and the inspiration that we want to create the world, right, from a sense of, compassion, a sense of kindness, a sense of non-harming. So experience arise, so fear is a human response. That's not the enemy. So we want to witness this, and then we want to be active participant for how we frame it and what we do with it. Another way to think about responsibility is that it's Respondability. Right? Do you have the ability to respond versus to react? What are we going to do with our fear now? And of course, it's in the interaction with the condition of the world and those in it that brings about a sense of empowerment. We're really hardened. Of course, we are watching a lot of. Um, updates on the news about the wildfires and the shutoffs and the evacuation. And we are really heartened, Deb and I, by how there was often also a lot of talk about 
helping, looking out for, and taking care of each other. So I think it's really um, helpful that in moments of difficulty, we can remember to connect to our sense of um, non-harming, kindness, and compassion. Thank you very much. Just 11. Should I take a couple of questions? Also, because I can't stay too long today, folks, so upstairs. So. Are there any questions or comments? I also take challenges, don't forget. Anything that brings fear, I'll take it. <laughs> any resonance? Or? I'm really not up here to hear myself speak. So. Yes. I don't know why this is coming to my mind, mm-hmm. but a movie I very much liked was Dolores Claiborne. Did you mm-hmm. see that? that a, yeah, a long time ago, though. Yeah, quite a while ago. Uh, Captain Bates is amazing, and she kills her oppressor. Uh-huh. And I just wondered if, and I kind of cheered when she did, and I wonder if you had some thought about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen that. And I will say I um, have uh, experience in the, uh, I used to work at rape crises and domestic violence. Wasn't, wasn't her oppressor, was it a DV or was it her, it's been a long time. It was time. her husband, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why I remember it's a DV situation. So I have worked in those fields. So I think, you know, um, movies, just like any story, has to pick a plot and has to pick a moment or an issue that you're addressing. So I think so much, and, and that was a while ago, so I think part of that was just, to me it was an expression of um, finding power, because someone wants to kill you. So remember, don't forget, um, Brene Brown talks about this, right? That shame, she said it's shame, right? That for men, the thing that is the most shameful for men is that they might be laughed at. Lots of research, like 20 years of research. That's the most, the biggest fear of men is to be laughed at. Without a doubt, the biggest fear of women is that they will be killed or hurt physically. So I think it really is a movie that's about, if someone's, and actually, I just remembered. So I started at that rake center when I was 19, long time ago now and um actually there i was really lucky because there were these women who had come from new york this is in eugene they come from new york and they were the ones that started um self-defense classes for women in new york at the time in the late 70s early 80s right and so i took a self-defense class oh and by the way I'm, i was 19 i had long hair bangs so quiet like the perfect model minority right asian person and um, I was a good girl, without a doubt, right? And um, in the class, she, we were, you know, self-defense class, right? So she was pinning me down with, you know, I'm on my back like this. You had two hands there. And I was like, frozen! And I remember her going, push me off, push me off, right? Go for the throat, because, <laughs> you know, one way is to go like this and, 
hit people in their throat because then they can't breathe and then they all stop, right? And I was just like, and then I remember clearly the moment where I thought, oh, I can defend myself. It was huge. It was huge. And it took literally being on my back and being, you know, and by the way, I was sleeping, I was in the back of, I had a little apartment in the back of the house. I was sleep with a knife under my pillow. I'm not making this up. I was sleeping with a knife under my pillow because I was so afraid, right? So I think that's, that's part of, I don't know. I don't know the intention of the director. So I think there is that, that primal. And especially if someone's coming at you, again, remember, that's what's happening. Yes. Um, I like what you said towards the end of your talk about um, basically being present with what's going on. Because um, my experience has been that when something unpleasant is going on, you naturally want to push it away. And if there's something pleasant going on, you naturally want to bring it closer. And so, but it's. It doesn't seem like it's really about pushing away or bringing it closer. It's mm -hmm. about being aware that that's what's going on. Because mm -hmm. we do that all the time without awareness. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like our automatic pilot. Mm -hmm. you know? So anyway, I, I thought that was good. <laughs> yeah, and then of course part of practice is to see um, what's beyond the duality of doing nothing are doing something, which might be called appropriate response. Of course, we don't know what that is. That's the thing. That's the hard part. And until we have a sense of what is my drive when things are pleasant, what is my drive when things are unpleasant, more and more of that. Right? And remember, the more and more we practice, like I just said, it's the same thing. It's still the same four fucking noble truth over and over, right? And learning, oh, this is how I am. And then we get more and more subtle. That's what more practices. The subtlety, the different. In this instance, where's the nuance that's a little bit different, right? So people are always saying, well, what else then, you know? And I'm like, I can't tell you because we practice to stay with those and to see what else is there beyond duality. Which is, which is definitely, we could say awareness, but awareness and awareness is not passive. I think we, it would be false to think that awareness is a passive thing. Really false. And the world, you know, when the fire's coming, passiveness is not, is not useful. So, all right. All right, thank you very much. I appreciate your attention.